1: Welcome to the New Books and Political Science podcast. My name is Heath Brown, and today I am have the pleasure to have two of the authors of Contested Transformations, Race, Gender, and Political Leadership in 21st Century America. The book is published by Cambridge University Press. Today I have two of the authors, Carol Hardy-Fonta and Diane Pinderhughes on the phone. Carol, how are you doing?
2: Good. Thank you for having us on this podcast. We appreciate it. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely, and Diane, you're there as well? I'm here. Okay, good. Carol, maybe I could get you to just very briefly introduce yourself, and then Diane, I'll give you the chance as well. So, Carol, maybe just share briefly who you are.
2: Okay, I'm Senior Fellow at McCormick Graduate School of Policy and Global Studies at the University of Massachusetts, Boston. Uh, From 2001 to 2012, I was the Director of that Center for Women in Politics, Public Policy there. I spent the last 30 years researching and writing on... um, the intersection of race and gender and politics with an early focus on Latina women. I just got back from the march in Washington, which, like most of what we talk about in the book, holds much promise, but is very contested in terms of race and gender, so we'll have to talk about that at some point.
1: Yeah, I I would like that as well. Uh, And Diane, uh, uh, just briefly about yourself. I'm a uh, University
0: of Notre Dame Presidential Faculty Fellow. I'm a faculty member in the Department of Political Science. where I'm a professor and also in the Department of Africana Studies. I chair the Department of Africana Studies. My research, um, my carols began on a, focused on a single group. I began my work focusing on African-Americans. Um, and I've been um, studying that uh, group and looking at other uh, population groups as well over time.
1: Wonderful. And, can maybe you could just very briefly introduce the, your two co-authors who, who aren't uh, joining us today.
0: Yes, uh, Peita Lien, who... Is a professor of political science and holds an affiliated professorship with the departments of Asian American Studies and Feminist Studies at the University of California, Santa Barbara. Okay,
2: and how about you want to do Christine too then? <laughs>
0: is professor professor emerita of political science at the University of New Mexico. She served um, as director of the Southwest Hispanic Research Institute at the university from 2011 to 2014. She's done a lot of work mm-hmm. on Latino and Latina
1: politics wonderful and and what i what i think is very obvious from the the four co-authors um is you've produced uh a, a very um a broad and deep and and um uh full book that that there's a lot a lot to talk about and um let's let's start uh, broadly first carol okay um where do we currently stand at the national level for the representation of people of color and women, let's just say in Congress. I'd like to move sort of more local as as we go, but but maybe we just sort of start there.
2: Well, I think we should the book actually covers from the the book includes a data from a database that was established in 2006-2007 with a, a survey on the people of color holding elected office at that point in time. However, we added to that at the national level in Congress through 2014. Since the book was published, so I can talk about what the book says about that in, as of 2014. Of course, we know since then that things have changed. So, um, I think the, the things we need to speak of is that the numbers of elected officials of color, especially women of color, has increased. The numbers have increased dramatically over time, um, but they still are underrepresented, okay? However, yep what we should show, what we really want to talk about I think today is maybe that since the book even was published, you saw in this most recent election, for example, that any gains by women or people of color have been driven by women of color at the national level. So in in the Senate, for example, if Tammy Duckworth hadn't prevailed and Kamala Harris and um, uh, Cortez Masto, they hadn't won, then women would have actually lost seats. And so it's interesting to think that at the national level, certainly in Congress, women would have lost ground if it hadn't been for women of color gaining seats in this most recent election. And that actually reflects, we're pleased that that happened because that actually reflects our trends that we saw in the book over time since the, or since the 1990s, really.
1: Yeah, and, and Diane, you write in the book about your focus on intersectionality, mm-hmm. but not in an additive way, uh, gender plus race, but rather gender times race. What is the difference between these two approaches, and, and what is the argument for the approach that you've taken in the book?
0: Well, we, um, have begun the, we began the book with a focus on intersectionality, and that did evolve some dur- during the time we worked on it. We worked on it over a number of years. Gender plus race um, gives you, uh, you'd be talking about me as an individual, um, a black woman, um, but as a representative in the Congress, you, fo- you focus or you function in the context of uh, interacting with other members of a Congressional Black Caucus, for example, Congressional Women's Caucus, um, and so you you might have um, some sense of identity, but the gender times race reflects the, the fact that we see this as a more complicated uh, kind of Um, conception of of what the responsibilities of the individual representatives are and the collective representatives are and that you have to look at, we have to look at these variables in in interaction with each other rather than just a kind of additive um, approach.
2: And And I think also what we intersectionality means something different than just identity politics. It means intersectionality of oppressions for example there's a structural. There are structural. Um, the political co- context is contested at all times in when you try to gain um, elected uh, seats or if you try to make progress as a as a group, and so that you have to think of what the structural obstacles are for people besides just their identities as black or Latino women or men.
1: No, no, Carol. This, uh, the book is based off some pretty amazing original data collection mm. that you have already alluded to. Uh-huh. Um, Would you describe these data, not in their uh, micro granular detail, but um, but sort of how you put this together? And I I wonder also if you could describe this great photo on page 7 of the research (laughs) team in Chicago, which which anyone who has the book or or has read the book would take note. Maybe you could describe that that photo to us and what it says about the the team that you put together.
2: Well, it's actually a very interesting experience because I think why we wrote the book is on page 7 in the sense that when we were, we began this project like, I don't know, 1995, would you say, Diane, maybe we first met, I think.
1: Mm-hmm. And so
2: we've been talking about how to study um, race and gender and political leadership for a long, long time. There were people with us that left and then people came in. So in one of the, and we met many times over the years. So one time we meet was in Chicago at Diane's uh, gracious hosting and we were meeting oh, in 2004.
0: At the University of Chicago at Chicago. the Center for Race, Culture, and Politics. They hosted us. Yes, wow, well,
2: okay. And as we're, and that was at the time when then-State um, Senator Obama was running for the U.S. Senate. So we were in this car driving down the street after we were finishing these meetings. That and was all my the, car. That was your car, mm-hmm. and we were trying to find one of, his, one of uh, Obama's um, U.S. Senate uh, window signs, like for his election, and all of a sudden he says, there he is, and we leap out of this car, in the middle of the street, we leave the car, in the middle of the street with all of our laptops in it, unlocked, we leap out, jump out of the car, and we race after him down the street, thinking we could get a picture with him, so one of our colleagues who's not with us, Martina, Tina, left, got, a, got a, one of those throwaway cameras, which is why this photograph is so blurry, of so, a uh, um, throwaway camera, so we get a... Uh, uh, we finally he, then he is there he is in, but he went into a black barbershop shop on fifty um, third street fifty third street in this in that was famous in the I think the New York Times had a picture of it recently or something so we get we get out of the car and then we're waiting there so this fellow Eddie we think his name was Eddie he comes along and says oh I can take you in so we go in these w- five women four black well two black women uh, Latina an Asian and me and we go into the barbershop on and Saturday night Saturday evening. And he comes out from the back and says, so he looks at us and he, with this very interesting group of women, I think, a multiracial group of women, he says, who are you guys? And so we realize that that's what this book's really about. It's not about who we are as this multiracial group of women, although that was interesting too, but who these people are that we're studying, who are the elected officials in the United States today? So we had, yes, go ahead.
0: There's a little bit more. I had had the chance to meet... um, the candidate at the University of uh, Illinois had spoken at the law school the previous week. So I'd seen him and I, I was introducing him to us, but he, being the gracious person he remains, um, uh, you know, it's probably his last private time before becoming a U.S. senator, uh, he asked us to go outside. So we were then talking and then, then the, the whole <laughs> you guys. In, who in, are him, you?
2: But, but his voice was like, who are you guys? So we realized it's not about us, it's about these people were studying. So who are the people we studied? We put together a database for the first time of 10,000 more, more than 10,000 elected officials who were black, Latino, Asian, both genders, all levels of office from president at later to Congress, uh, city con- uh mayors, county commissioners, county supervisors, and school committee members. And so this was sort of the first time that ever been constructed then or since,
0: right? And state legislators. And state
2: legislators, of course, yes. And um, thank you. And then, so we used that to then um, create an analysis for the first time ever of where do they come from? What kind of districts do they represent? Because we put together, we added all these contextual data for their jurisdictions. Mm-hmm. And then we also did a survey of them later. And and then, besides, because the, at that point, we were starting to – other things that happened since then, we decided to add some new data since then for state legislatures and Congress because it's easier to collect data on those levels than city council members, mayors, and school committee members, and county officials.
1: Yeah, I love these stories behind the stories. <laughs> I, I'd like to write the book that's just about these backstories, and I think it would be <laughs> just a, such an interesting yeah. read. Now, now, Diane, as, uh, as Carol sort of just um, mentioning – Much of the focus in in our study of politics is on national-level politics, Mm -hmm. but you make the argument in the book that that local politics matters a lot, especially for what you're studying. So why study local officials, and and are the opportunities for advances in representation different somehow at the local level than than at the national level?
0: Well, we learned a lot um, in that process of of looking at... um, the elected officials in the database, one thing of which was, of course, that the vast majority of elected officials actually operate at the local level. And um, I think, you know, we're political scientists, we're supposed to know that, but the fact is we really didn't know that or didn't understand it in quite the way we do now uh, in the past. So I think probably two thirds, Carol, correct me, of elected officials um, nationally and in our database are local officials, probably a larger proportion.
2: It's 96% actually total <laughs> for all people, all elected officials are at the local level. Ours were about 75, 78. You're right, Diane. Yeah. Um, but, but nationally, we don't really think about that. We don't think that, that, that so many people serve at the local level. And yet they. one of the things we make a point in Chapter 2, for example, is that le- local officials oversee budgets of, and yeah. spend trillion dollars a year you know, and then they also at the state legislative level, they're the ones that are they're crafting these districts that are creating the districts for who gets elected to Congress by party. So we have to really be thinking about both state legislative levels more and also the local officials because they're very important. We've seen that
0: state state uh, well, you know, boards of local boards of education, uh, the county, and the local level. These are the um, these are the levels at which very much important work is done, and um, without knowing more details about how those individuals function, you know, we tended to assume that the most important thing was getting these people elected at the state level, maybe maybe to the state legislature, maybe to governors, maybe to the Congress, but knowing the full dimensions of their importance at the local level and the the ways in which they influence local politics um, is also important. Important.
2: And it's also, yeah, now, it's also important because since the election in the 2016 election, all these pundits are all talking about how you have to go local they, because they said that the Democratic Party, for example, is not going to recoup what they need to recoup in order unless they go local.
1: Now, Carol, in Chapter 3, mm-hmm. you combine a series of factors related to perceptions of political disadvantage. Yes. Mm-hmm. and you seem to find that men of color do not view women of color as facing greater political disadvantages. Did I read that correctly? And and if so, how do you interpret that analysis? And if I've read it incorrectly, what is the right interpretation of of those data?
2: Well, this is a very complicated one because it turns out what we were trying to study in Chapter 3 was this idea of double disadvantage. A lot of the literature on women in politics that's mostly focused on white women, say that or, or on black women, for example, says that there's a, they'd be disadvantaged by the intersection of their racial and gender di- identities. And that um, we find it's very complicated when you look at uh, what people actually say. So we found, for example, that all groups of women of color are more disadvantaged in terms of their household income, but black and Latino women were less disadvantaged in education and occupation. Now, at the same time, when you looked at how they saw themselves in terms of their, in their campaigns, men of color perceive more disadvantages on the campaign trail than women of color do, which is uh, surprising compared to the literature, but not when you see that other than current income, men of color were more disadvantaged in their own backgrounds than women of color. So it's a, it's a, it's, I think we've made a big contribution to whether what the literature says about this issue of disadvantage—it's more complicated than just what we thought.
1: Yeah, and, and and what do you what do you make of that? Is is, is that um, ha- does that have to do with with the 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 conditions that these male candidates face, or does it have to do with their perceptions of of what women face, and, and maybe they misperceive? The differences that exist across the genders. Well, how do you, inter- well, how you interpret this? Well,
2: one thing is you have to realize these are the winners. These are the people who won their elections. Okay, these are, We did not study candidates. And a lot of the studies that talk about disadvantaged campaigns is talking about candidates. So if candidates lost, maybe they see themselves differently than if they'd won. So these women and men won their races. I don't know if you have any other things to add, Diane, there.
0: Well, I was looking uh, at that chapter and just I'll just read a little bit that um, female elected officials of color may gain certain advantages by their educational attainment, but they are disadvantaged by the marriage gap in terms of potential material resources with the largest being for black women. Women of each racial group are also disadvantaged in terms of personal financial resources, that is, household income, and black women stand out with the highest percentage of households reporting a household income below $50,000 compared to... Latinas, which is 30 percent, and Asian American women, 14.8 um, percent, with men being somewhat more, uh, having somewhat higher levels of income.
2: I guess the other question is whether as candidates, the women, women are somewhat, now this is, we, did, we don't know this, we have not studied mm-hmm. this part because we're not, we didn't study candidates, but the question gets raised by other researchers also, whether Women of color are more acceptable to the general population or the voters than men of color who may be seen as more challenging the status quo in some ways. I don't know. You know that issue of whether you know uh, they're more seen as less racialized. It's not clear whether the gender makes them more acceptable in some ways to the voter, non non the voter not who's white, for example. So they can maybe they got elected more easily. I don't know. It's hard to know. Now, we
1: don't know that. Now, Diane, I really enjoyed this chapter on the election contests and, and the, the paths to elected office. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wonder, what do we get wrong about what it takes to run for office, and what did you discover about these paths to running for and then remaining in an elected position? Is, is the path to, to office um, very, very different uh, at these intersections of politics?
0: Yes, we found that they were um that women of color are i we would argue less likely to uh have a simple path first of all, that idea of a path to office was one that we spent a lot of time talking about <laughs> and yeah. um discussing whether you know how does it happen that somebody runs for office? There's a lot of literature and the, there's a lot of assumptions and fi- some findings in the literature on women. Uh, which tends to be on the experiences of of white women, European American women, that um, the parties uh, encourage them to run for office Um, and or that women are women have to be um, asked to run. There's a long discussion of that. We'll we'll get into that on this uh, (laughs) podcast, but um, what we found is that um, the patterns differ between black and white women. Uh, I think that black women are more likely to, women of color are more likely to emphasize working with and for their communities. Um, they're less likely to uh, display, um, necessarily to display issues of the assumption of political ambition, that they're doing it in order to um, enhance their political careers. We discovered, for example, that most elected officials were, um, once elected, were in the same office that they'd been when they were first elected um, and so in many cases they're where they want to be because they want to influence and serve and protect their communities. So the idea of women as a, you know, engaging in this for purposes of advancing their political careers, not necessarily the case. It may be to help their communities. Now there are probably some generational differences in which the younger uh, people running for office may well display this career ambition approach. Carol, I'm sure you want to.
2: <laughs> well, I think the big thing was that the um, they run for reasons of issue, passion, mm-hmm. or community. Fifty percent said when we asked open end questions of why did you run for office the very first time, you got that um, either an issue or a um, or something about their community. So I think we. Yeah, I, the other point was that I think in that chapter we talk about how the fact that they about seventy eight percent are in the same office they were in before mm-hmm. is it question whether there's a pipeline for women of color or a pipeline for people or one path or is multiple paths or whether there's a hidden uh, hard ce- a hard cement ceiling I think Diane you you, you yeah. came up with that with a cement ceiling for people of color so they're sort of stuck in these positions it's really not clear so that's a that's something for future future. Um, uh, Research, but I do want to just say that on on yesterday's story about Cortez Masto, who was the first Latina U.S. senator, she wrote why she ran the first time. She when she ran for attorney general the first time, it was about the passion. She said, "I've always been working on domestic violence prevention. I've always been fighting for people who are either downtrodden or the most vulnerable, and juvenile justice issues." Now, that said, I do come from a family where my father served in local politics, so I grew up around this idea of giving back to your community in public service. That would be a very typical. Mm-hmm. response from most of the people we we interviewed and especially I think the women who combine those two things of issue passion of some project they were working on or some some cause and serving the community and public service
1: now uh, and maybe this I can open up to both of you as we wrap up here um, Diana at at the end of the book you all take stock of what what this all means for the state of the democracy <laughs> um <laughs> And now, you published the book uh, based on data a little, while, a little uh, collected a little while ago. Mm-hmm. Where do you stand now? Um, what's your level of, of hopefulness about about where we are uh, in our democracy, given the, the the patterns that you found, but also some of the you know other dimensions of of where these issues are? Are, are you in a hopeful place or, or not a hopeful place as you finish this book?
0: I think um, that understanding the importance of Uh, elected officials at the local level, uh, knowing that there are very large numbers of them uh, among, particularly among blacks and Latinos, uh, there are not so many um, Native Americans, but there there are numbers of Asian Americans, but they tend to be focused, you know, concentrated geographically in the West um, more than any place else in Hawaii. I would say that knowing the existence of these, you know, these networks of people Who work together in cities and counties and state legislatures? That they work collaboratively where there are multiple groups, and they're not always. That's not always the case, but that that I am hopeful because it's people at that local level that we're going to have to, that are going to be important in figuring out how to manage um, democratic representation and participation and protection of voting rights and women's um, gender issues. That's going to have to be done at, you know, there's got to be representation at the local level. Now, some of these issues don't come up in local level politics, but a lot of them do. So, to the extent that I can be optimistic in light of the recent election, um, I would say that it's the, the, the large numbers of, and probably increasing numbers of elected officials of color, that we will be looking toward for making political change.
1: And, Carol, how about yourself? You, you mentioned at the start, just coming back from uh, the Women's March. Yes. Um, how, where do you stand um, in light of that? Well,
2: it's funny because I go back to the beginning of the book, which in the introduction we talk about how there's been a transformation in the numbers of elected officials, both in, at all levels, and with women of color driving the change. I, we say, on the best day, the situation for people of color is is this situation of two steps forward and one step back, where there's been some change, momentum over time, even though you lose ground, but on the events of the very bad days represent a situation where one step forward is followed by two steps back, suggesting Sisyphean, Sisyphean effort with little gain. Lately, it feels like we've had some very bad days mm-hmm. um, for people of color and women, obviously, with um, Hillary losing in the presidential race. I think that the question of... Coal- we end the book, really, with a question of whether can be coalitions among these groups of people, whether Blacks, Latinos, Asians, and American Indians, and white women or women with shared ideologies can form coalitions to make change. And if women and these folks run for office with the shared sense of progress for immigrants, progress on women's rights, progress in terms of criminal justice, in terms of voting rights, if people on those with those interests in mind and shared shared vision, do work together, then there will be change. I think even after this um, election,
1: the book is again contested transformation, race, gender, and political leadership in 21st century America. Uh, you've uh, just heard from two of the uh, authors. The publisher is Cambridge University Press. Thank you both for your time today. Thank,
2: Thank you. you.